Well, tonight we are continuing our series, Values, and so I'm hoping you have values. I think we all have some set of values. And so we're going to be taking a look at a couple of stories. Uh, one is, if you ever heard in the Bible of the rich young ruler, we're going to take a look at that story when Jesus addressed uh, a question that he had. We're also going to take a look at a man by the name of Esau, E-S-A-U, Esau. And then we're going to look at a man by the name of Joshua. And some of you heard of these people if you read the Bible. But before we do that, I, I want to ask you a question. What values do you have? Like, what are your values in your life? What are your values in your family? What values do you live by? And what do you, what do you make decisions based on? Like, what values do you have? And maybe for some of us, we've never, we, we never really thought about what values we have or what values we live by because we've always had these values. And so we just live by whatever we feel is right. But what are the values you have? And if you are taking notes, maybe you want to throw some down if you, if you think of some along the way tonight. Uh, if, you, if you want to take notes, you can. We also have our, our church app that you can open up to. But when we talk about values, we all have them. We all live by them. The question is, what kind of values do we have? And do these values perpetuate itself? In other words, do these values last long? Are they values that you can pass down to your children? Or are they values that just last for your lifetime or the season that you're in? What kind of values do we have? Because we'll all have them. So if you don't have values, if you're saying, well, you know, I, I live by certain standards, but I don't know what kind of values I, I really have. I may have some, like respect your elders, or, you know, uh, clean up after yourself, you know, things like that. But other than that, I don't, I don't know what else kind of values I have. And then the bigger question is, do we live by godly values? And what does that look like? Because before we came to know Jesus, we just lived how we thought we, we su were supposed to live. Like we just live in the way we were taught, in the way we were brought up. But when we come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior... Now there's a, there's a different list of values that we begin to learn and develop. So tonight we're going to talk about developing values and how we do that. And we're going to look at three easy ways on how to develop godly values. Because we all want to have values, but we all want to make sure, even as believers, that we learn godly values. Sometimes there's, there's kind of like a, a division in values. That when you get involved in, another, in, a, in a relationship... You have another family's set of values, and then you have your set of values. And then you bring two families together, you have conflict because their value system is different. For instance, uh, for some of you who have children, uh, and I don't know if your spouse is here, but you can, you can play along tonight. Are you the disciplinary one, or are you the lenient one? Are you the disciplinary? So how many of you, you're the disciplinary one in your house, and you discipline your children? Okay, some of you have to play both, right? Some of you have to, my mom was a single mom. She was disciplinary as well as the lenient one, but mostly disciplinary. Very rare was lenient. How many of you are the lenient one? You're like, you're very laid back. It's okay, give them grace. They made a mistake. And Okay, so some of us are like that. It's tough when you live in a family that two parents are disciplinary parents. That like for the child, there's just no wiggle room, no grace. Everything is discipline, discipline, discipline. It's like the parents gang up on you and there's, there's no way out. It's, it's almost like you feel like you're in the military. And there's, there's no way you can have grace. But when it comes to God, he gives us both. 
God does discipline those he loves, and he gives grace to the humble. So whenever we look at godly values, we must first understand that he's a perfect father. So when he gives us his values, it's based upon his system. It's based upon how he parents us. He's the perfect father in heaven. So we're going to see how we can set up some values. Because setting up values for life can seem simple, but the problem is whose values are we going to follow? And then are we going to develop values that are best for our life or are we going to develop values that are best for someone else's life? That I don't need to live by these values, but you need to. In other words, we say sometimes to our children, don't watch what I do. Just listen to what I'm saying. Don't do what I do. Mommy and daddy are doing it wrong, but you should do it correctly. So they're getting like a mixed message of values. The question is, where, where are we going to get our values and who is going to determine what those values are going to be? So let's first start off with defining what we mean by values. And I'll write this definition uh, so that we can see it. But values, the values we're looking at is a person's principles or standards of behavior. So principles and principles, A-L's, E-L, right? Because that's not school. Principles and standards of behavior. Standard of behavior. So principles and standards of behavior. Also, one's judgment of what is important in life. So judgment on, that's two separate words. I just wrote quickly. So judgment on what is important in life. What is important in life. So you'll base your decisions on these values, the principles and standards and the behaviors that you think, oh, this is how I should live, or the judgments to what is important in life. That's going to be what you determine your values will be. This is the foundation. That's the, that's the, the definition of what we're looking at. And usually we, we turn to four things. Uh, these are like the basic four things we look at in life when it comes to values. We usually value money, people, things, and God. We value these four things. Now, you may be here tonight and you're saying, but I don't believe in God yet, so I don't really value him. Then something else is your God. Every single human being worships a God. Every single human being has a God. For people who don't believe in the one true God, something else is their God. It might be money, it might be things, it might be another person, it might be themselves. But we all worship a God because we were created to worship God. So when we reject God, we have to find another God. And so what we do is we, we reject God, we find another God, and then we develop a value system based on that God. And sometimes it's self-serving when God's value is all about who He is and serving others. It's incredible how God does things. I was trying to think of the things I valued while I was growing up. Just think about the things you valued while you are growing up. So I just wrote a short list of the things I valued while growing up. And I tried to think as far back as possible. The, the first thing I could think of when I was, it was when I was three years old. I valued this one flannel jacket. It was thick because we lived in the mainland. And so when it was cold, I had to put on this jacket. And it had pockets on the side. And it had like, like, a, like a satin inner lining. 
So it was very smooth on the inside, and then it was a little like flannel on the outside. It wasn't too fluffy, but just enough to feel warm. And so I remember being three years old, having that jacket, and it felt super huge on me. Like I could, I could use it as a blanket, so I would go into this, uh, this jacket, and there was a hood on it. So I could, I could be warm when everyone else was freezing, and I felt like this was the biggest jacket in the world. And there was a zipper on the top. And I remember my mom saying, oh, it's like elephant ears. So it was fun for me. It's like, oh, I have elephant ears as a jacket. That was three years old. I valued that jacket. Then around four years old, five years old, I rode a skateboard, and, and I got a skateboard. It was a, it was a plastic skateboard. It was a very thin one. And I remember when I would stand on it, it would bend a little bit. But I remember that skateboard, and I valued that skateboard. I didn't want to have, I, I didn't want anyone playing with my skateboard. And then at seven years old, I remember valuing a Spider-Man belt because my dad got paid, and he showed me his paycheck, and he said, let's go to the store, and I'll buy you anything you want. And I bought a Spider-Man belt. Like, today, I would buy something else. But when you're, you know, six years old, seven years old, you don't think about, oh, you can get a TV or you can, <laughs> you can get a, you know, game console. You don't think of these things. You just think of what is exciting. So I bought a Spider-Man belt, and I valued that because that's what my dad bought me. And then around age nine, I got a plastic football for Christmas. It was a plastic football, and I remember opening it up. Like, I knew what it was because when my mom wrapped it up, it was just the football in wrapping paper. So I could feel the shape and see the shape, and it was light, and my mom says, do you know what it is? I'm like, I don't know what it is, mom. Like, trying to make her feel excited too. And then I opened it up. It was a football, and I valued that football until someone rolled it over, but I ran, ran it over, and it, it, it didn't pop. It just flattened, and then we played Frisbee. And then at age 12, I made a bike. We got some parts together, and we made a bike, and I valued that bike, and it was my bike, and I called it my buddy. That's when we would name our things. That was my buddy. So I would have this bike, and it, that, was, that was my transportation, and I valued my bike. And around the same time, I met a girl by the name of Heidi. And then that's the only thing I valued. It was all about Heidi. No one else was included. All my things were like secondary according to this new value system that I had in this beautiful girl named Heidi, which I married seven years later, which is pretty, I was 12 years old. Then we got married, and then there was a new set of values. Everything was about Heidi. And then... We came to know Jesus. Then there was conflict. I was like, okay, how do, I, how do I change this value system? Because everything I've ever known was this value system. It was always in things and then Heidi. And it's like the Lord said, you're able to adjust in this value system, but you're going to have to do it my way. So the way he did it is he said, you're going to have to put some things together that show godly values rather than the value of things and a person. Now, I still value Heidi. Of course, she's my wife. But I had to learn how to put God first in everything so that he became the highest value, so that everything was now about God. And that transition is a difficult transition because you start falling into what can become religion, that you think, Valuing God means I have to do everything religiously. But a part of it is not necessarily doing the right things. 
It's following God, falling in love with Him, and allowing Him to make what is wrong on the inside right. And then when He was able to change the inside, then everything else started to fall into place. See, the value systems that we look at, and even learning this value system when it comes to God, has a lot to do with the principles and standards of behavior, the judgments to what is important in life. But once we shift to the things of God, now it becomes, God, you have to let me know what are your principles, what are your standards of behavior, as well as what is your judgment on what is important in life, rather than how I feel, what I've been brought up with, or what I've always known. Now God gives me a different perspective. And the issue with this young ruler that we find in Matthew chapter 19 is he had, a, he had to make a decision because everything he knew of in valuing things and this value system led him up to this point of asking this one question to Jesus. So we're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 19, and I'm going to read from verses 16 through 30. And this rich young ruler comes up to Jesus, and as he's speaking to Jesus, there are other people around him who can hear. So this is not just a, a challenge that Jesus gives to him. He's also teaching what is happening uh, with this guy's question. So he comes up to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, in verse 16. It reads this, just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Now remember, if we've learned a value system of things and religious uh, religion that we have to do certain things, then when we come to Jesus, that's the same thought we're going to have. Like, Jesus, what do I have to do in order for me to be good or gain your favor or, or not get in trouble or not receive punishment? We ask him that question. What do I have to do, Lord? What, 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 do, I, what, do, I, what do I need to become so that you're pleased with my life? So Jesus replied. He said, why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good, and if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. And the man asked, oh, which ones? Because there were ten, right? Well, Jesus replied, well, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the rich man said, well, all of these I have kept. What do I still lack? In other words, this young man is being honest with Jesus. He's saying, look, I did all those things. Why am I still empty. What do I lack? And Jesus answered, well, if, if you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, well, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, you know, we have left everything to follow you. This is such a, a question would come from Peter. We have left everything to follow you. What then will we have? What, what will there be for us? And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. So when Jesus addresses this man, this man walks away sad. What Jesus was saying is, you're so focused on having all of this and trying to do what's right in order to inherit the kingdom of heaven and eternal life, that that's what's impeding you from receiving this new value system. He wasn't saying it's bad to be rich. He's saying, go sell all that you have. In other words, get rid of everything that's impeding you so that you can receive this new value system. And don't forget, follow me. Because you're not just receiving a list of things. You need someone who's going to empower you so that you can live by that new standard. But if you're just looking for a list, because sometimes we do that, we say, God, just tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. If you can just let me know, then I'll do it. But you know what will happen? We may do the list, but we'll forget about God. That's why Jesus said, here is the value system. Come follow me. This is the new value system. See, the issue with this young ruler was, it was, it wasn't his money. It, it wasn't his relationship to the law because he said, I kept all these things. The, the issue with this young ruler was his relationship to Jesus. That was the biggest issue. And Jesus' command basically defined the law of Christ. What Jesus was saying is, you follow these laws, but you've forgotten who created them. And if you're trying to follow this set of values without following the one who created it, you fall into religion. You're going to miss everything. You're going to miss the heart and the love that goes with it because Jesus came to fulfill the law. In other words, Galatians 3.24 puts it this way. And Paul the apostle is speaking. He says, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. So what the young man lacked was the ability to place his security solely in Jesus, completely on Jesus. See, we can all develop values, the, the kind of values that enhance our lives, our families. And so here's the, here's the first thing we learn from this rich young ruler. And here it is, number one, I will need to make sacrifices. That's what Jesus was saying to him. He said, you, you want a new value system? You're going to have to make some sacrifices. Ooh, I don't know if I can do that, Jesus. Well, that's your choice, but you're going to have to come and follow me if you want this new value system. And the man walked away. And it almost seems like when we look at this story, we can, we can think in this story, how does this man walk away? He's walking away from the Son of God with such an opportunity to become who God made him to be. So much potential to be realized, but then he walks away. But we do the same thing even today, that Jesus says, here's a new set of values that I want to give to you. And we look at that and we say, but that's too hard. That's too hard. Make them simple. Can I be more simple? He's saying, well, you don't live in a simple world. And you don't live around simple people. You're trying to be who I'm making you to be, not who you want to be or the world wants you to be. Because if you do that, you will never be satisfied. However, if you do this and you follow me, you will always be satisfied. That's why he said hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not just hunger and thirst for being well-behaved, 
He said, hunger and thirst for righteousness, and the only way is you're going to have to make some sacrifices. See, as much as we need to learn about developing values, we're going to have to also unlearn some values that we may have had, some, some habits that may, conflict, that may bring conflict with the values that God wants to bring into my life. Because in order for me to listen more, that tells me I have to talk less or interrupt people less. Those are just simple new values that have to change. In order for us to encourage others, we're going to have to give up complaining and discouraging people. That's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to sacrifice complaining and discouraging others. We're going to have to give that up. In order for me to add value to someone else, then I, I'm going to need to speak negative and down to them less or not at all. You can't have two value systems, the value systems of the world and self, and then God's value system. It just doesn't connect with each other. Some of us, we want to develop values, but we don't want to sacrifice. And in order for us to develop the values we want, we're going to have to sacrifice the many things we want. Because of this new value system, which is of higher value, it takes sacrifice, which when we bring these values together, our values that we have nowhere compared to the values God wants us to live by. And sure enough, there are some values that we have that are godly values because we were brought up with them. So what God wants to do is he wants to, as the Bible says, burn off all of the impurities so that the pure can stay there, so that as he continues to develop these values in us, then now his values become our values. We don't go to him and say, okay, God, here's how I want to live. And so all you need to do is protect me and and give me wisdom for how I want to live. I can't tell you how often people would just grab me where it could be on the streets, in the mall, or wherever, text me, call me, and say, hey, you got to pray for me. Okay, what, what, tell me what's happening. Well, my wife, she's not, she's not listening. She she's, and start, starts naming all these things. And I said, okay, wh- when was your last date night? Date night. No, we don't do date nights. But she is to do this, do this, do this. If you can pray that she gets better. She's crazy. One man said, she's like the devil attacking me. <laughs> I said, whoa, maybe we need to pray for something else then. But they go down this list, and it's interesting that majority of the time, they're never willing to sacrifice in order to gain the values that God has. We want to remain the same, but we still want what looks good. And, and, and that dream life or that dream family. Many want a great marriage, but not willing to sacrifice the things that pull away from their marriage. I'm going to name some. And because this is our midweek service, this is for us as believers, this will be very hard to swallow. <sighs> Look, I'm shaking for some reason. I saw a couple big brothers over there, that's why. So, but if you hear this, now, what I don't want you to do is start nudging people next to you, okay? <laughs> just on the inside, say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Okay, so I'm just going to go through just a basic list on some things I had to give up for my marriage. Sports. Oh, oh, yeah, I felt that. Gaming. Spending more time with friends. Ooh. On my phone all the time. What? 
Maybe we should stop there. <laughs> yeah, we'll stop there. We'll stop there. That one was tougher. That was only four things. Now, just with those four things, I'm sure you have your own list. I'm sure you have a list of things that someone else should sacrifice so that the value system can grow. But the challenge tonight is what can I sacrifice for that value system to grow? Ooh, that, yeah, I don't know if I want to, yeah. Yeah, let's try this one. Many want their children to be happy but not willing to sacrifice their own time to spend with them. Yikes. Well, came quiet. Many want success but not willing to sacrifice the work it takes and the balance with family and God. Many want a closer relationship with God but not willing to sacrifice the wants of the flesh. So, if we want this new value, this new value system, we're going to have to make sacrifices. How are we doing so far? Are we good? Yeah, nobody crying. Nobody got hurt. We're good. Let's look at the second man. That was a rich young ruler. Let's look at, them, at a man by the name of Esau. Now, if you've been reading your Bible, you've been reading about this man, Esau. In the book of Genesis, chapter 25, we find that Esau is faced with a decision that he has to make. And this decision is not an easy decision alone by itself. But what helps him to make this decision is something that his flesh is speaking to him. Now, in Genesis chapter 25, I'm going to read from verses 19 through 34. Genesis 25, verse 19. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel of Aramean. From, the, from Padan Aram and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled with one another in her and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, two peoples from within you, will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 66 years old, when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was, con was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of the red stew. I'm famished. That is why he, he was also called Edom. Not Edom like pigeon, like, go well, Edom. Edom, E-D-O-M, just in case. You're like, see, honey, I got to eat them. So Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. And e Esau said, well, look, I'm about to die. What good is this birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. 
Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, and he ate and drank and then got up and left. And then it ends with probably the most powerful words that we need to understand. So Esau despised his birthright. It almost seems like a, just an easy thing that, well, I'm hungry. Well, give me your birthright. Take it. But his birthright was his future and his future potential. What Jacob was banking on was what the Lord spoke to his mother, that the older will serve the younger. In other words, Esau, Esau's problem wasn't his hunger. It wasn't his flesh. It was that he saw his birthright as unimportant, that he saw it as, as of no value. And something as common as food and not seeing the value in his birthright became a snare to the potential future Esau could have had. He could have had that future. That word to despise means to, to treat something as worthless or with contempt. Esau's, unwilling, or Esau's willingness to sell his birthright was evidence that he considered his birthright to be unimportant, which something of that high of a value should have kept its value but he saw it as unimportant. Esau saw his birthright as of no value to him. You know what is interesting is that when God gives us our God-given potential and, and he says, this is who I'm making you to be. This is what I see in your life, who you're becoming. Some of us can see it, but we don't value it as important. God says, this is who I'm making you to be. This is who I want you to be in my kingdom. I, I, I want you to be this kind of person. I want you to serve me like this in this kind of way. But then we look at it as unimportant. And when we see God-given potential as unimportant, it's only a matter of time that we're going to sell our birthright to feed the flesh. It's as simple as that. Because we missed the value in godly potential. That's why when we do something that we know is against God, oh, it's so painful. It's so painful. We can deal with the so-called, almost like the ramifications of the decision. We try to find our way through, but then when we got to stand before God, now that's the difficult one because we knew that we have this potential and we rejected it and we saw it as not important. And so now we're left with this new value system that we're going to have to develop or, or the consequences of what we have to do. And even then, we feel like we're stuck. But thanks be to God that he always gives us a way out. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 through 17, the Bible tells us to make every effort to live in peace with, with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one can see the Lord. No one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter, roots, no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And then he switches into what we just learned about Esau. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. And even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. 
And I think for you and I, if we ever want to have this new value system, we're going to have to come to grips that there are certain decisions that we have made, certain things that we, we did that we could not change. We just cannot change anymore. That's what Esau is dealing with. There are some decisions that we will make that are so life-altering that we, cannot, never, we, we can never change it. We can change, but the results of that one decision remains. We can change. Thanks be to God. Now, that's Esau's life. Compare that with how Jesus made decisions and lived. And it's in the beginning of the book of Hebrews, same chapter. So it starts off with showing us how we're supposed to live and then kind of contrasting it with Esau's life and saying, this is how you're not supposed to live. But here's how you live. Hebrews 12, verses 2 and 3. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, the Bible is actually telling us, consider him. Why? Why consider Jesus? Because he endured such opposition. And the results from that is that you won't grow weary and you won't lose heart. That's how we live. We consider Jesus because he's the one who was able to endure such opposition. You and I will have opposition all day long, all week long. We'll always have opposition. Romans 13, 13 and 14 tells us because we belong to the day, like we're children of light, that's what the Bible says, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. In other words, your flesh is always going to pull you away from God's very best. That's why we're going to need to make sacrifices because our flesh will always want more. But our spirit will always pull towards God. So we will need to make sacrifices. The second thing we learn from Esau is don't fuel your flesh. Like how you put fuel in your car to make it go, don't fuel your flesh. See, Esau, Esau didn't sell his birthright because he was hungry. That's not why he sold his birthright. He sold his birthright because it had no value to him. He just thought of it as, well, you're going to give me food for what I don't even value? Go for it. Your loss. That's what he's thinking at that time. And he sold it for nothing because he saw it as nothing. This new value system that God gives to you and I, you have to see your life as something. Once you see your life as nothing, you will trade it for nothing. Even though you think you're getting something, in the end, it's, it's going to be nothing. But if you say, Lord, you, you, you died for my life, therefore my, my, my life is of high value. You have to think of yourself in that way, that you have high value in the sight of God. That you're not going to sell your life to something that is of less value. Don't settle for anything less than God's very best. That's God's value system. With Esau, his flesh exposed his lack of values. His flesh revealed what he truly valued. 
See, your flesh and my flesh may not always cooperate with us, but it will always tell us what we truly value as important. Our flesh may not always cooperate with, with our spirit. In fact, it, it, it opposes the spirit. It may never cooperate with us in, what we're, in who we're trying to become in the sight of God. It may never cooperate with us, but it will always tell us what we actually value as important. That we can't hide because it's still attached to us. But with Esau, that's what we learn. Don't, don't feel our flesh. And then the last thing, I'm going to read the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 24. And Joshua was a man who became the leader after Moses. And we talked about Joshua uh, this past Sunday as they took over Jericho. And in the book of Joshua chapter 24, some of us know this scripture. We've heard it before. And it's a scripture that we live by with our family. I'll read from verses 11 uh, through 15. And now they, they are, they've already taken over. And they're living in the promised land that God gave to them. But they're also dealing with some foreigners who are still there. They didn't wipe out everyone. So they're still dealing with foreign gods, foreign values, foreign uh, systems. And they're trying to figure out how do we still live in this land while we still have foreigners trying to take us away from the value system that God has. So Joshua, being their leader, has to address this. So he gives them their history on what took place, the Red Sea and them leaving Egypt and then wandering in the desert. And then he says, then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you. This is verse 11. As, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land in which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and eat from the vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. So he's now giving them some instructions on how you're going to learn and develop this new value system, as well as unlearn this other value system that you live by. He says, throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. So Joshua gives them a choice. He says, here's your options. You can serve these other gods. You can keep the old value system. And you can, you can stay beyond the rivers and, and live like that if you want to. And then it's like Joshua steps forward as the leader and he says, but as for me and my house, let's say it together, we will serve the Lord. That's what Joshua said. He said, you can do whatever you want. Whatever value system you want to have, that's on you. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the reason why Joshua said that was because he was the leader. He said, I will go first. And I want to speak to you as head of your household, leaders in your household, as a Christian, we always go first. As setting the example, we always go first. If you want to develop a value system, we always go first. That's what Joshua did. That was the example that Joshua gave to everyone that was listening. He said, you can choose whatever you want, but I'm letting you know I'm going to go first. In other words, here's the last thing. 
value what God values. That's what Joshua did. God, God gave us the value of the freedom to choose. And that's what Joshua did. He said, you have the freedom to choose whatever you want to do, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33? He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Joshua began with himself, and he's, he's, he showed himself as that example. At the same time, when I compromise the values of God, then the people that surround me, my children and people who look up to me, then they're going to have a difficult time valuing the things of God because they're watching my behavior, and they're saying, it, that's the value system that I'm learning. So when I compromise the things of God, so will others. See, when we, when we pray for, let's just say, our children, our loved ones, our family members, or bring them to church, or recite scripture to them, or, or we buy them merchandise that have scriptures on them and, and things like that, and all these things are great. But our first responsibility, especially as parents, is to live a life devoted to God. That's the first value. Now, it's not religious at all. It's learning from our Father how we're supposed to be as leaders, leaders in our household, in our community, wherever it would be. I'm talking as a believer. This is, these, these are, this is what Jesus, this is who he made us to be, influencers in our world. And you might think, yeah, but I'm, I'm nobody. Nobody knows I'm a believer. They don't know I'm a Christian. So that's beside the point. God knows. You know how valuable you are in our world? You're not just created in our world so that you can take up space. You, you got to think kingdom and, and, and godly values that regardless of how far we are from God or, or, or what we've done, we're still children of God. It doesn't change. You're still that valuable to God to be used for him, to be a light into your community and into your family. It's not to be religious at all. It's to be relational with God in such a way that when he speaks, we're able to develop this system of values so that we can live the life that he wants us to live by his principles, his standards, so that we don't, we don't change our behavior. We change our heart, which our behavior follows suit because these are the values. Then we can make judgments based on what is important in life with the light that God gave to us. I want to I give you some practical values that Heidi and I developed, and these are just probably seven or eight that I thought of, and maybe this may help if you're thinking of godly values, you're thinking of values for your family, especially in the beginning of the year. Maybe you're trying to put things together. But for Heidi and I, when we were starting uh, to come to church and we started to, uh, we gave our life to Jesus, that was one of the main things we said. We said we will come to church. We will be consistent in coming to church. There was a season where I was working and I couldn't come on Sunday, but I came on Wednesday nights. And even that was very difficult. We didn't have podcasts and vidcasts and web, uh, the website at that time. So we got CDs. Actually, it was tapes, cassette tapes. If you don't know what that is, go Google that. <laughs> but then it was trying to find out, Lord, how do, I, how do I stay to this value? And God worked it out. The second value we had was the word of God and prayer. It was learning how to do devotions. It was learning to get into the word of God, reading every single day, and then journaling. Did we miss days? Absolutely. I missed weeks at some point, months. Then I just got back on track and then read and journaled. Before we developed this system with SOAP, S-O-A-P, Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer, I just found one scripture at a post-it, put it on my post-it, posted it at work, 
and then had a journal book and just journaled what I learned about that scripture. I didn't have a real system. I just wrote down what I felt the Lord was speaking. But I was developing my relationship with him through the word and prayer. And then another one was tithing and giving to the Lord. That was a value that Heidi and I wanted. And I'm so thankful for that value because that helped us in knowing how to be wise stewards over the finances that he gave to us. We were thinking backwards. We, we used to say, well, when we have the money, then we can give. And then I read in the Bible, that's why I didn't have money, because I never gave God anything to multiply in my life. So we had to rethink that value system. And then our family and our marriage was something that we valued. And we said from the very beginning before we got married. Now, I'm about to say a phrase that may sting some of you, but I'm not saying it uh, intentional to sting you. I'm just saying what Heidi and I decided. Uh, for Heidi and I, divorce wasn't an option. So I don't, I don't mean that if, you, if you've gone through that or if you're going through that. There is that hope, of course, that Jesus brings. But there's, there's just that principle that Heidi and I live by. And we're so glad that we did that because the times where you feel like this is not going to work, God always found a way, made a way, and increased our love for one another and made that value system even as a higher value. So it, it, it did something greater because we had to fight our way through. And it worked out for the better. And then another value we had was at, when our children grew up, we knew we were going to release them at 18. Now, some of you are thinking, release? That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to release them. They keep flying back. But there, it took us, in fact, I, just, I was just talking to my son the other, uh, in fact, yesterday. And he's 23. Is he 23? And I remember telling him, uh, it took us about six years, specifically six years, and intentionally six years to release anchors along the way. In other words, we had all these ropes tied to him from since birth, right? And then we want to help him to grow and mature and we teach him things. But then he came of age and slowly, age 10, we had to release an anchor. Age 11, release an anchor. Age 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, 16, learning to drive, curfew times, got to release those anchors, learn how to wash his own clothes, cook his own dinners, had to release those anchors. So by the time he turned 18, he wouldn't burn down his house or the dorm that he's staying at or our house. It's like all of those anchors had to be released. So much so that at eight, well, okay, I'm going to say this is for Heidi and I, okay, because you might have different values or rules in your house. By the time they turned 18, they didn't have a curfew. But they did live with us, so I said, just let me know when you're coming home so we know you're safe. But that value system had to, you got to determine some type of value system lest you hit that moment and everything breaks loose. If you have no value system, when that decision needs to be made, what are you going to pull from? You're just going to pull from how you feel. No, no can. Why not? Because I said, what kind of value system that? That's my value system. My value system is because I said so. I only have one thing on my value list. I said so. But if it comes to that, it's going to be a very difficult relationship. And so we have to develop that. And then we had to come to a place where we start to value people, value children, even when traveling or outside of these church walls, right? I mean, everyone looks well-behaved in church. But we have to value people no matter where we went. So if we're at a hotel and we have bad service, yes, we will let them know. But we're not going to go downstairs. You know, you guys, you guys junk. If we're going to go downstairs and say, hey, this is what was happening. Is there any way we could resolve this? Da -da. No, no can. Or is there any other way we can do this? No, no can. Okay, well, thank you. Then we just go see the manager. Hey, you know, we're, we're just wondering, is it possible for this? 
And more often than not, if you behave in the way of a believer, and maybe behave is not the word, if you shine your light as a believer, it's amazing how the darkness that is thrown at you simply goes away. But that's a value system that God brings. I want to close with this. If you, you can close your Bibles and put away your notes. Although this story is a little on the, um, there's some things in there that are embellished in this. I, I think it makes, it makes good sense. And it's, it's written about a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. And so he talks about values. And I'll just read this because it, I, I thought, I heard, I've heard this before. Maybe you heard this before. But as a great example of values is Jonathan Edwards. He's a Puritan preacher from the 1700s. Jonathan and his wife Sarah instilled godly values in his children, his 11 children. And at the turn of the 20th century, an American educator and a pastor, A.E. Winship, decided to trace out the descendants of Jonathan Edwards. And almost 1,500 years after his death, here's what he found, especially when compared to another man known as Max Jukes. This man, Max Jukes, his legacy came to the forefront when the family tree that they looked at in his life represented 42 different men in the New York prison system that was traced all the way back to Jukes, to Max Jukes. Jonathan Edwards, his godly legacy includes this, one U.S. president, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries. That was his descendants because he instilled values, godly values. Max Jukes' descendants included seven murderers, 60 thieves, 50 women of prostitution, 130 other convicts, 310 paupers with over 2,300 years lived in poor houses, 400 who were physically wrecked by indulgent living. They estimated that Max Jukes' descendants cost the state more than $1,250,000. Now, although we don't compare to one family or the other or things like that, there is godly values and then there is any other values. I pray tonight that we would be the people who say, God, I want to develop godly values and at the same time, unlearn the values that may destroy my life, my family, and the rest of my descendants. Would you pray with me? Would you bow our heads for a moment? Heavenly Father, tonight as we pray to you, there are values that you have given to us. And it's going to require sacrifices. And, and at the same time, it's a decision that you leave up to us. But we know that you're always cheering us on to follow you and, and follow your ways. And maybe the question to us tonight is, is also, what, what do we lack? There are still some things that we lack, Lord. So what are the things that are impeding us from following your values? Help us as men of the household or women that are here tonight that lead their families. I pray, Lord, that the values that we have would be able to be passed on to future generations. That we wouldn't be people who fuel our flesh, but that we fuel our spirit. That we would value what you value. We pray these things over every single person here tonight that we become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. We all said together, amen, amen. Can we thank our Lord Jesus for showing us how valuable and how great his value systems are.